Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is uh, episode 168, and today is 24 September. We have maybe seven or eight stories. I've got a couple of in my back pocket if I want to use them. I'm not sure I want to use them. <clears throat> but uh, some Ukraine stuff, attackums. Uh, been keeping an eye on that. My prediction was that attackums would be sent to Ukraine at some point in time, especially because. Ukraine President Zelensky was in the States for the UN and to meet with the President of the United States at the White House. I figured uh, President Biden would say, yeah, you can take them or you can get them, whatever. So there's some update on that. But before we get to that, we'll start with a DOD release. 21 September, which was a couple of days ago, Biden administration announces security assistance for Ukraine. The Department of Defense is sending an additional security assistance package to meet Ukraine's critical security defense needs. This announcement is the Biden administration's 47th tranche of equipment to be provided from DOD inventories for Ukraine since August of 21, 2021. Capabilities in this package valued at $325 million include AIM-9 missiles for air defense, additional ammunition for HIMARS. It doesn't say what type, but the assumption is Gimlers. Avenger air defense systems, 50 caliber machine guns to counter unmanned aerial systems, 155 millimeter artillery rounds, including DP ICM, dual purpose eventual, uh, improved conventional munitions, 105-millimeter artillery rounds, tube-launch optical track wire-guided missiles, tow missiles, wireless, Javelin AT-4 anti-armor systems, over 3 million rounds of small ammunition, and 59 light tactical vehicles, plus demolition munitions for obstacle clearing, spare parts, maintenance, and other field equipment. So demolition munitions for obstacle clearing, spare parts, maintenance, and other field equipment always seem to be in there. Uh, every once in a while, you get the 3 million rounds of ammunition, small arms. Javelin AT-4 anti-armor systems seem, seem to be in there. The AT-4 is a light anti-armor weapon system. The Javelin is a medium, and of course, the toe is the heavy. They're getting all three variants. Different weapon systems, but different categories. How about that? 105 millimeter, which is, you know, kind of a towed artillery piece. And then you got 155. The assumption is they're towed or self-repelled and then air defense stuff three in a row air defense i'm sorry 50 cal for is counter uas avengers air defense and then aim nine is air defense and then of course you got the high mars so three air defense three artillery three anti-tank small arms and then the normal demo munitions obstacle clearing spare parts maintenance field equipment total of 325 million and next, we'll go to Al Jazeera, 23 September. Everybody seems to be kind of reporting a similar story about these attackums. They all kind of 
quote NBC News. So here's this story from 23 September. Ukraine to receive U.S. long-range attack missiles, U.S. media report. United States President Joe Biden, I'm sorry, 23 September. United States President Joe Biden is informed his Ukrainian counterpart, Volodymyr Zelensky, that Washington will provide Kiev with Attackham's long-range missiles. This is from U.S. broadcast NBC News has reported. Ukraine has repeatedly asked the Biden administration for the long-range Army tactical missile system to help hit supply lines, air bases, and rail networks deep behind Russia's front lines and occupied regions of Ukraine. But the White House has not announced a decision to provide Ukraine with the attack systems, and the missiles were not publicly discussed when Zelensky visited Washington, D.C. on Thursday for talks with Biden, even as the U.S. announced a $325 million military aid package for Kiev, which we just went over. I'll kind of read that again, but the White House has not announced a decision to provide Ukraine with the attack system. This is all coming from an NBC report. Uh, Back to the article, the White House and the Pentagon declined to comment on the NBC report on Friday. The Pentagon also declined to say whether any promise of attackums was given to Zelensky during his meetings on Thursday at the Department of Defense, saying, in regards to attackums, we have nothing to announce. That's the Department of Defense. A date for delivery of the attackums was not revealed, according to NBC. Uh, From the Russian side, it says Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs warned earlier this month that the supply of longer-range missiles to Kiev would cross the red line and that the United States would be viewed as a party to the conflict in Ukraine if it did provide such weapons. Uh, Zelensky did not answer directly when asked about the NBC reports on the attackums, but he noted that the United States was the biggest single supplier of weaponry to Ukraine. The Washington Post also reported that the United States plans to provide Ukraine with a version of the attackums that will be armed with cluster bomblets rather than the single warhead, citing several unnamed sources familiar with deliberations, and that these can fly 190 miles. It's kind of end of story there. So everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got a source, but nobody knows who the source is. So your guess is good as mine. I'm still sticking with my prediction i mean it's not a bold prediction i'm still sticking with my prediction that the attackers will at some point uh, go to ukraine so while we're while we're on ukraine we'll go to this from defense news 20 september andrew chudder new D, uh, new uk defense chief pledges more air defense strike weapons for kiev <clears throat> since we're on ukraine uh here we go Air defense and long-strike weapons are on on the U.K.'s government priority list to supply Ukraine. That's from Defense Secretary Grant Chaps. Chaps, he said that on Wednesday. That's the new guy. In a statement issued on the sidelines of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group meeting at Ramstein Air Base in Germany on September 20, Britain's new defense chief said the equipment would be delivered to Kiev over the coming months, even though he provided few details. The announcement that the additional air defense capabilities were on their way followed a plea 24 hours earlier by his U.S. counterpart, Secretary Lloyd Austin, urging allies to dig deep to increase the supply of weapons to counter Russia's continuing air bombardment of Ukraine. Russia has already supplied hundreds of air defense weapons to Ukraine, including the Star Streak and AIM-120 AMRAAM missiles. 
Long-range strike weapon deliveries from the British include Storm Shadow cruise missiles and M270 multiple launch rocket systems. Shapps, who made his first appearance at the Ramstein meeting since taking over as defense secretary late last month, said the list of capabilities are destined for Ukraine in the coming months and would, be, would also include artillery ammunition, training and maintenance, and repair. Sounds like what we just read from the United States. The British recently completed delivery of their 300,000th oh, artillery round to Ukraine since the conflict with Russia started. The article needs to add another zero to that 300,000. They got five zeros. The assumption is they mean 300 with three zeros after the comma. Nitpicking here. Uh, support, of British mil- support of British military vehicles and service of Ukraine is also of growing importance. In July, British defense contractor Babcock was awarded a contract by the UK MOD to support an urgent operational requirement for Ukraine's military vehicle assets as part of London's support for the country. The initial 12-month contract is worth £50 million, or $62 million, and we'll see Babcock support British-supplied armored vehicles to Ukraine, including Challenger 2 tanks. Uh, Late last month, BAE Systems revealed it was doing something similar with possible local production of 105-millimeter light guns. End of story. What are you doing on time? Nine minutes. Might be a quick show tonight, folks. Okay, there's UK's assistance. I mean, is there a trend there? What are they talking about? 105-millimeter Armored vehicle and air defense, right? And long-range missiles. I mean, you know, it's a tr- It's obvious what, you know, this is um, quote-unquote modern warfare. But there's a trend of what, what seems to be working, right? Which brings us to this really good next story. It's from Asia Pacific Defense Reporter, 24 September. Modernization programs to drive global artillery systems market to 16.6 billion by 2033. And before I go into it, I'll tee it up a little bit. You know, each each uh, <clears throat> war fighting function—that's probably not the right word. War fighting system—that's a new term. War fighting function of war t- war fighting system. I think that's the term I heard General Rainey use. And then you've got branch specific uh, arms, so to speak. So in the Army, you have uh, an armor branch, infantry branch, artillery branch, aviation branch. And they all have little nicknames, right? Like the infantry is the queen of battle. And it's called that because it can go by land, sea, or air. Like the chess piece of the queen that can move any place on the battlefield at once. Same with the infantry. The infantry can walk in, it can parachute in, it can air assault in, it can ride on a boat, it can, however, in an armor vehicle. And then the armor is known as the arm of decision because it moves fast and all that stuff. But the king of battle is known as the artillery. And it appears that the king of battle is still the king of battle. Um, and that's what this article talks about. You see, how many, we've talked about it with Ukraine with the 155, the conventional tubes. And then everybody's screaming for attackums and gimlers, which is just high Mars, which is nothing but artillery, right? It's rocket artillery, but it's still artillery. And then there's all kinds of, uh, you know, long-range precision fires, precision strike missile. you got the Urca uh, 155 cannon, which is referred to in this article. So basically the king of battle is still the king of battle. And even General Rainey said, I think in the last show, how 
if you have a division, right, you have three maneuver brigades in a division and one artillery brigade. I'm not going to go crazy with this, but at some point when we were at the, we, the Army was at, U.S. Army was at the brigade combat team, they, they got rid of Devardi's division artillery and they farmed them out, put them in the brigade. So the brigade had its own artillery battalion with two batteries, I think two batteries. Well, the times are changing, changing. What was new is now old, and what was old is now new. They're going back to Devardis, which means they're going to pull, potentially, artillery battalions out of the brigades, the maneuver brigades, and put them back at division. The division farms them out again. And General Rainey mentioned, maybe we have too many maneuver brigades in a division. Maybe you need two maneuver brigades and two artillery brigades. Again, the dominance of the king of battle, artillery. And then we saw how the Israelis are using uh, UAVs and drones inside the artillery, attached to the artillery to spot targets. So exciting times, and I know this is a long buildup. I'll get to the article. So here's the article, Asian Pacific Defense Reporter, 24 September, modernization programs drive our global artillery systems market to $16.6 billion. And there's a saying, whatever your priority is, is look where your funding is. That's probably what your priority is. So the world's military defense priority could be artillery. So as part of replacement and modernization efforts of legacy artillery systems, countries across the globe have initiated multiple programs for the development and procurement of modern artillery systems with superior targeting capabilities. This will drive home worldwide this will drive worldwide cumulative spending on artillery systems to 153 billion between 2023 and 2033 gliving the global market for artillery systems to reach 16.6 billion in 2033 according to global data which is a data and analytics company I have no idea what that paragraph means uh, but I know that people are spending billions of dollars on artillery in the next 10 years that's what I take from that uh, global data's latest report called Global Artillery Systems Market 22 to 20, uh, 2023 to 2033 reveals that the market for artillery systems will grow at a compound annual growth of 4% in the next 10 years. Conventional wars like the one between Russia and Ukraine have witnessed the extensive use of artillery, which in turn has led several countries to reassess their capabilities and include modern artillery systems in their inventory. Um, there's a, here's a quote from an analyst at Global Data. He says a self-propelled artillery segment is expected to witness the largest amount of spending over the forecast area. This is mainly because of their advantages over towed systems in terms of mobility and survivability enabled by their shoot and scoot features. The United States has analyzed emerges the largest spender, no surprise there, in the self-propelled artillery segment with a cumulative spending of $9.7 billion in procuring systems like the M109A7 Paladin and Next Generation Extended Range Can Artillery, also known as IRCA, over the next 10 years. Supply chain disruptions due to the Russia-Ukraine conflict and sanctions on weapon transfers have compelled many countries to develop local manufacturing and maintenance capabilities to reduce their dependence on imports. You know, I'm looking at you, uh, Poland, who else? India. All these countries are building up their defense capabilities so they don't have to rely on other countries. Smart move, right? Uh, in recent years, there's been 
There has been a growth in efforts to develop smart munitions worldwide. This is interesting, which will significantly increase the capabilities of conventional artillery systems. When equipped with smart munitions, artillery systems can undertake a wide variety of firing missions that wouldn't have been possible with conventional artillery shells. For instance, U.S.-based SRC Inc. is developing electronic warfare systems that can be delivered via 155mm artillery shells to intercept and jam signals deep inside enemy territory. So they're developing an EW round. Isn't that smart? Uh, similar development initiatives for other smart munitions are currently undertaken in companies like in countries like Germany, the UK, and France. This will lead to an increased demand for launcher platforms, including towed artillery, self-propelled artillery, and naval artillery in the future. In the end of uh, article, that's a good article, though. King of battle is still the king. Now we'll move to the armor is not dead file, which there always seems to be something, right? Uh, there was two stories on this. And this one here is a pretty good one. This is from Defense News, Rudy Rutenberg, Germany, France, I partners for next generation tank in 2024, 22 September. The defense ministers of France and Germany expect to begin no negotiations for their next generation tank project, after which other European countries can join the initiative. Italy, the Netherlands, and many others have expressed an interest in joining the project to develop the Main Ground Combat System, or MGCS. Uh, that's from Gen German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius. He said this at a press conference in Paris on Thursday. There's also a possibility of other nations joining as observers in the first step. Uh, that's from the French Armed Forces Minister Sebastian Lecornu. German and France, I'm sorry, German and French top military leaders are now in discussion with the Italian Armed Forces who have their own future armored cavalry regiments requirements. And that's from also from uh, Sebastian Lecornu. Uh, let's see what else. Berlin and Paris will spend the rest of the year hammering out project specifications after the two countries' army chiefs reported on the operational requirements for the replacement of Germany Leopard 2 and French Leclerc main battle tanks. So they're trying to figure out what the requirements are. Uh, the agreement on operational requirements shows to what point basically it won't be a new Leopard and it won't be a new Leclerc. The future tank is expected to come to service on the 2040 to 2045 horizon, According to Le Cornu, the French minister says he hopes the first contracts will be signed in 2024. So if they sign the first contracts in 24, you're looking at 16 years until FUE, first unit equipped. Other interested EU countries will only be invited to, to join the project once France and Germany have defined the specs of the future tank. The future tank will be modular, including platforms that can be either manned or automated, it will have a classic fire control of uh, classic fire capability. Uh, here's a quote. It goes without saying that the function of a classic fire will not have disappeared, but also electromagnetic weapons, electronic warfare functionality, and later laser weapons. Again, from Le Cornu. Uh, the MGCS will require a re reactive defense with hard kill capacity, drones to protect the tank, artificial intelligence functionality to coordinate fire in a connected environment, 
and the technological leap in terms of cybersecurity will be absolutely colossal, LeCornu said. He had a lot to say. France and Germany will discuss in the coming days how to divide the work on the project into several pillars, Pistorius said. The countries are taking inspiration from their joint future air combat system project, which has defined pillars including combat aircraft, engine, drones, and combat cloud architecture, and with each assigned to a different group of contractors with a national lead. Reminds me of that saying that a camel is a horse by committee. I think that's what the the, uh, the saying is, right? You guys ever heard of that? Uh, the war in Ukraine has shown that the cost of a tank maintenance in the war in Ukraine has shown that cost of tank maintenance and high intensity conflict and keeping operational support costs under control will be a major element in the choices for a future tank. France has included 500 million euro or 533 million dollars in its 24 to 30 military budget for the project which doesn't include costs for midlife overhaul of the country's Leclerc tanks, according to Lecourneau. So they still got to take care of their Leclercs while they develop this thing. That's in the story. And what was part of the last 21 minutes? Yeah, we'll do 30 minutes. So what was the last thing in that paragraph, uh, the last paragraph of that story? The high war in Ukraine has shown the cost of tank maintenance in a high-intensity conflict and keeping operational support costs under control. Tank maintenance. Well, we're fixing to get to an F-35 story. That's not a good story. Not a good news story. From Michael Morrow, Breaking Defense, 21 September. Only 55% of F-35s mission-capable putting depot work in spotlight. That's from the Government Accountability Office. Uh, 21 September, just 55% of the Pentagon's F-35 strike strike flight, mm, just 55% of the Pentagon's F-35 joint strike fighter fleet was mission capable as of March of 23. A disappointing statistic driven by factors like a lack of depot capacity, insufficient supply part, supply of spare parts, and over-reliance on contractors, and that's according to the GAO. Uh, The Watchdog's assessment, the GAO, highlights a complaint frequently aired by government officials. And here's what it is. The prime contractor, Lockheed Martin, along with its countless subcontractors, were given too much control over sustaining the stealth fighter. A situation officials have told the GAO that is untenable for the program's future. Uh, Here's a quote according to DOD officials. Over the last several years, program officials realized that contractor-led sustainment for the F-35 program was unsustainable due to high cost. Well, what happens? If, this is not in the article. What happens if we go to war with China or Russia? Who's is the contractors are going to go to combat and fix these things? Or that's a question. Well, that's that's more of a statement. Uh, back to the article. Uh, the fleet's average mission-capable rate of fifty-five percent is defined when the aircraft can can perform one of its tasks, and that's well below the target of 90% for the F-35A, 85% for the F-35B and C variant. Of course, the A is like the Air Force one that take off and lands on a regular runway, and then the B variant is like a VTOL and the C is a carrier variant. So The target is 90 for A and 85 for B and C, but it's actually 55. So that's that's not just missing the mark a little bit. That's quite a bit, right? 
Okay, so there's plenty of blame to go around and among the various stakeholders that make up the F-35 program. For example, the military services, in this case the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marines, historically failed to prioritize resources for standing up adequate depot capacity, which officials told GAO will not be fully realized till 27. Delays in bringing those depots online have had several effects, including slow repair times, a, glow, a growing black backlog of components needing repair, and lower aircraft readiness. According to the GAO, a lack of depot capacity contributes up to 10% reduction in F-35's mission-capable rate. Beyond the lack of capacity, time required in the depot can be extensive, though GAO found it's twice as fast to repair a part in depot than ship it to out to the manufacturer the Pentagon is still sending 73% of all F-35 parts back to the industry sources. The program estimates that once full depot capacity is reached, about 65% of F-35 parts can be repaired by military service at depots. The DOD also lacks access to certain technical data. Uh, The problem of data access affects both hardware and software sustainment. And then here's another thing. The F-35's procurement strategy is further further contributing to repair backlogs in the depots. While there are technically only three variants of the jet, the aircraft's high-level concurrency or overlap between development, procurement, and fielding, which can result in the need for retrofits, have effectively created 14 different versions of the aircraft, vexing maintainers and making sustainment less efficient. Uh, before we end out, there's two quotes here. One is from Lockheed Martin, who makes it. And, I mean, here's their statement. We stand ready to partner with the government as plans are created for the future of F-35 sustainment, ensuring mission readiness, enabling deterrence. I mean, that's pretty generic. And then here's a quote from the F-35 Joint Program Office, Lieutenant General Mike Schmidt. He used to play third base for the Phillies years ago. Now he's a lieutenant general. That's a joke. Uh, We are pursuing a more resilient sustainment structure. Lieutenant General Mike Schmidt, head of the F-35 Joint Program Office, said. In March, Schmidt shared the low-mission-capable rates of the fleet with lawmakers and vowed to wage a war on readiness to improve them. Uh, We must grow our sustainment capacity and efficiency around the world, Schmidt added today. To do so, we must stand up global repair, transportation, warehousing network at a faster pace, incentivize industry behavior toward desired availability and affordability outcomes. Uh, Last paragraph. With the deadline of October of 27 approaching for transferring sustainment management from the F-35 Joint Program Office to the services, the GAO warned that work to tackle current challenges as well as plan for the future is critical for ensuring the joint strike fighter can perform for decades to come. Now, if this, that's the end of state, end of article. So if the U.S. military, three services, three variants, is only 55% mission capable, I wonder what the uh, other countries that are using the F-35, if they're having the same problems. My guess is they are. Uh, 27 minutes, last story. This is from USNI, 22 September, Zerhan Mazadar. We always get our Navy stuff from those guys. 
Russian Pacific Fleet holds exercises off Siberia near Alaska. So, Russian naval exercises. So, over the past two weeks, the Russian Navy Pacific Fleet has been conducting drills in the Chukchi and Bering Seas east in eastern Siberia, some of which have been observed by the United States Navy and Coast Guard. The Russian exercise, called Fiscal 23 or 2023, involves 10,000 Russian Navy Pacific Fleet personnel, ships, submarines, aircraft, helicopters, and coastal missile systems, and is focusing on communications defense along Russia's northern sea route. route. Uh, here's a statement from Russian Defense Ministry. All stages of the exercise are defensive in nature and are intended to improve the training of forces for operations on Russia's northeastern borders. Uh, here's kind of a rundown of the exercise Monday through Monday through Thursday, like a training schedule almost, right? So on Monday, the Russian mod stated that during the first stage of the exercise, the cruiser RFS-011, the submarine RFS-K-150, and a K-300P mobile coastal defense missile system conducted live cruise missile fight, live cruise missile firings in the Bering Sea against a target position simulating a group of enemy ships. They used P-1000 Vulcan cruise missiles, P-700 Granite cruise missiles, and P-800 Onyx cruise missiles from uh, the Bastion system to hit designated targets hundreds of kilometers away from launch points, according to release. So three different missile systems, the Vulcan, the Onyx, and the Granite. Both the United States Navy and Coast Guard observed the 15 September exercises with a Coast Guard release on Monday, stating that the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Kimball in coordination with the U.S. Northern Command, observe, uh, provided United States presence. Uh, here's a statement from the Coast Guard. Though military operations and exercises in international waters are lawful, we will continue to ensure there are no disruptions to U.S. interests or commerce in the maritime environment around Alaska. That's from the Coast Guard. So here's the rest of the training schedule till Thursday. On Tuesday, Russian mod release stated that two MiG-31 fighters launched from Anadar airfield intercepted and used air-to-air missiles to destroy aerial targets simulating cruise missiles over the Chucky Peninsula. On Wednesday, another mod release stated that the Corvette RFS-337 fired caliber cruise missiles and successfully hit a naval target 186 miles away. The target was simulating an enemy ship approaching the border of Russian territorial waters. And on Thursday, a release stated that the Corvettes RFS-333 and RFS-362 and RFS-332 carried out anti-submarine drills with IL-38 anti-sub aircraft of the Russian Pacific Fleet Naval Aviation and a Russian Pacific Fleet submarine acting as the adversary. Russia has not revealed when the drills will end. And that's it. 31 minutes, not too bad. So there's your uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning episode. I'll probably do one in the next couple of days. And then I'm going on vacation, quote-unquote vacation. Uh, so I don't know how I'm going to figure that out. I don't know if I'll pre-record one or do one while I'm on, quote-unquote, vacation or what. Um, I'll figure it out. But anyway, this is episode 168. It's in the books. Hopefully you enjoy it. 
Uh, thank you very much for listening and good night. <laughs>